Hello, and welcome to the new Rainbow Cast podcast series. The uh, new podcast series called the New Rainbow Cast with Artistically uh, the interview. Just ahead of the release of the episode of the New Rainbow podcasts, Mencap, uh, Kiva Lawrence, Tiffany Nelson, who is a trainee educational psychologist, and Let's Talk Disability podcast host and video broadcaster Athena, which will be on a podcast feed from September. And I will be an exclusive for the viewers who are watching on Facebook, Watch or YouTube. For those who want to uh, watch the episodes like you may uh, be doing right now with this podcast. As I working through in the back catalogue of all the past episodes from the podcast's return in October 2022. The first episode of the new releases of the best of the new cast interviews is up for you now to watch on Facebook Watch and YouTube with Jessica Spinner. The next will be with Sarah Rose Gibbs, but I'll say this is the Harriet Kemsley as recorded earlier this year in January. As most of the bookings of the podcast are from people who I've engaged with across social media, whether it was before with Twitter and continually through Facebook, Instagram and TikTok and seen across social media. If you got any recommendations for who you'd like to see or if you want to feature on a podcast, please email newrainbow at newrainbowcast. The interview, however, was the first guest, guest was one of the first guests on my list who I've managed to book who's been on telly and who's quite regular on television in the United Kingdom with that's on 8 out 10 cats and its spin-off series Cats Does Countdown on Channel 4 and E4 and with that's also Rose Battle, Gespel and her semi-reality sitcom series Bobby Ma- and Harriet Gets Married uh, which follows the wedding with a comedian Bobby Mare, and she's also fe- featured on the stand-up sketch on ITV2 hypothetical question team on Dave and Richard Osman's House Games, which is featured on BBC2 and repeated on Dave, as well as you make preview on BBC Sounds and Radio 4 Extra with the comedy club interview series where she's chatted to other comedians and interviewed them about their career in comedy and she's also featured on the podcast Trusty Hogs and the Cuddle Club. You'll be able to find a lot more about her by visiting www.newrainbowproject.com and that's if you want to find more about the podcast alumni. And they said, like all for all future episodes, and this one, you, you can choose either to watch on Facebook or YouTube, and via the new Rainbow Cast player and finding 
uh, the new Rainbow Cast interviews a playlist. Which for if you watching on Facebook, you may want to search for the new Rainbow Project and to like that page for more. To listen to this, this has been released simultaneously as one of the revisited episode. You'll be able to find it on all cast supported platforms by searching New Rainbow Cast with Artistically R. So whereas and listening, hope you enjoy this and you release the Harriet Kemsley interview if you haven't already watched this before. Yeah. Okay, now that we press record, um, I'll introduce myself. Um, yeah. I'm Harriet Kemsley. Hello. Yeah, so in this interview, we'll be talking to you about your dyspraxia as well as your Korean comedy and what type of comedy you do. And Thank to you. start by you telling you, explain about your dyspraxia and how you got your diagnosis. So, I since I was quite, my mum said that when I was younger, people had said that I might have dyspraxia, but she never told me. And then when I was like in my mid twenties, everything was just chaos. And my sister was watching Embarrassing Bodies. And then she said, Javier, I was watching Embarrassing Bodies last night. And I think you might have the thing that the woman had on it. And I was like, this sounds very concerning and also insulting. She was like, it's this thing called dyspraxia. They did this test, like this clap test. She taught me the test. And so I had to do it. We were having uh, lunch. And I did it at the table. And it went so badly that I, I knocked over a glass. She was like, I think you got dyspraxia. Then my husband bought me a book about it. And I was reading it. And I just burst into tears. And I was like, oh, my God, this, this makes so much sense. This feels like how I've lived for so long I ended up getting a private diagnosis which is quite expensive I think now it's like three times as much like it's crazy I feel lucky that I did that but what I say to people that can't afford that is that basically if you think you have it you have it having the diagnosis is a nice reassurance from somebody else but you know yourself and if you have those symptoms other people don't and they they're just living their lives and they'd read something like listing the symptoms and they'd think this is not me. If you find out later in life, then, as you say, you can work out for yourself. And then, you know, you know what I have. It Before thinking of getting diagnosed or self-diagnosing yourself, you probably worked out some ways of working, like, what, what's best for you and how to, like, support yourself. By that age, you worked out different ways of supporting yourself and ways of coping with having dyspraxia? I would say though that I hadn't at that point learning about it and finding out about it that was the point when my life changed massively because I really started to put things in place that really helped me these like little tiny tools that mean that I just don't live in as much chaos as I used to so I think there are so many good books about it and like even the internet like has so many things that just if you just try and follow these things it can really make a difference. Uh, so what was the tools and the box that when you were uh, found out you were dyspraxic and got told as you said by your sister that you're probably dyspraxic from her watching bars and parties and then Bobby begging you the book so what was the things that you started to think that I could put in into like my daily life to make those things easier for yourself. 
I think having a routine is really helpful because if I don't, then I can just like procrastinate and just end up doing things. And it's and also having a place for everything. It sounds so obvious, but that is not how I lived. I would just spend so long finding things and doing things. And now, like I've got into like a like a habit where I just have to put everything has a place, and then I save. I mean, literally an hour a day in not trying to find things, just like all these things that just all these like things that would just come as second nature, I think, to other people have just yeah. had like I have a bowl by the door where I put my keys. So when I walk in, I put my keys down and it's like I've had to really teach myself and force myself to do it. But it means I don't spend 20 minutes looking for keys and then you're running late and then you get flustered and then everything gets harder yeah, and just on the, the thing about being flustered, because I think when challenges are always things with being dyspraxic myself, it's the remembering things, remember where you put things from myself. It relates to being able to like be so forgetful. After, like, uh, say, you've taken my tablet, a few more seconds later, my memory's that bad, that forget where you put, like, that I took my tablet just then. Yeah. I, I always like trying to find my remote or my phone, and then even if I just put it down and finish yeah. me, or like, even if it's visibly there. I was taking notes when it was like about six or seven, and even at getting diagnosed that young, I'm still working out ways of coping with it and finding things because I still feel like living in a bit of a mess of trying to remember where I put things. Yeah, I find one thing that's really helped is I write literally every single thing in my phone calendar. Uh, so I, I know exactly what I'm doing. I put the time in, I put what I'm doing. Sometimes I even put like the time that I need to leave in order to get there, because sometimes that can be a whole thing where you, you can't quite understand the concept of adding that in. I think it's so hard. When I was younger, I got banned from homework, which I thought was a really good thing at the time. But it was because I just kept losing all the sheets. And my teacher got so cross. And she was like, Harriet, every week I print off these sheets and I give it to you. And you come in the next week and you say, I don't know what happened to it. I've lost it. And so then it, but then it affects kind of your ability to, to work and to study and to learn. And yeah. it affects your self-esteem as well, because you think, why can't I look after a sheet? Like, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah, so it does affect confidence because then, you know, like if, if you're not remembering to do so many different things, and I'd say that, even if you've got told you don't have to do homework because you keep on forgetting the, the seats and remembering to underwork, then the confidence and being able to trust it to bring the seats and bring things in on time and to all that stuff. You know, like probably easier not for have the, to think about doing homework then as saying it then does become a bit challenging off. You are that different to everyone else in the class, I guess. When you didn't know you were dyspraxic then and get getting told that you didn't have to bring in homework, then you found out you felt like there was something different then from when you was a school age. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um it's just it's just really it's just hard like uh, just feeling like I, I think this phrase comes up a lot with dyspraxia, but like you're living in chaos and everyone yeah. else just seems to be able to function in a normal way you just arrive somewhere and you're just like you're all over the place and then 
I think the problem is once I, this is why I try and live like so like carefully because once I get flustered, it's like, it's this knock on effect where the whole day, Bob, my husband, because of my dyspraxic days, where just the whole thing can just go yeah. wrong because everything gets off and then you're just you're on another planet. Yeah, because as you say that, when you're like, as you say, flustered and, you know, get a bit overwhelmed, then I guess it can get overstressed out about those kind of things that accumulate and then it can have a lot of an effect of things for today and I guess then you have to send a bit more stress or anxious yeah. or then like your mood kind of dips on those days and I guess then, you know, be, before the, the time you were diagnosed and you know that you were dyspraxic, I guess that then you had a lot of days like that and then a lot of days when you you kind of had, if there's something on you, this you kind of knew something about it, is it? Yeah, I was saying that, you know, because you was flustered then, you know, when you was younger, those dyspraxic days of when you was like struggling with certain things, then it was just trying to say that, I guess, then you you went on certain days you wish that you knew with that, you were dyspraxic, so yes. you could make those things easier. And that's what's made it so much better knowing. I don't know how long it's been since I got diagnosed, like maybe like six or seven years, maybe. It's like, it's just made me like have, like I think so often when you make mistakes, your voice in your head can be so mean and it just makes you go, you're so stupid. Like, why can't you do this yeah. like, simple thing that everyone else is managing? And then you'll get, and then you'll get fussed and then you'll spill something else and then you'll do this other thing. And then it's just like, you just feel so embarrassed in your own skin. I think knowing it, reading about it, it has allowed me to have some compassion. Also like lean into it and be like, there are really brilliant things that come with having it and things like dyspraxics are so funny and like yeah. fun to be with and they take they don't take things in general they don't take things very seriously and they I think one of the things we're so good at is just making mistakes over and over and over again and just keeping on going I think that's like really helped me in so many ways in my life like doing stand-up you you fail so often and you have it's like can be humiliating when you say something you think is funny and people don't laugh but because we're so used to embarrassment it, it doesn't phase us so we can do yeah. things that other people find much harder yeah I see it's the ability to be able to keep on trying then going back on as you say the both when you were diagnosed so what what was like then when you're like told to like your, your mother and your parents so you're dyspraxic and you know you've had family as you say that you hinted early on in the podcast uh, interview that she was told before by people who, who knew that you probably were dyspraxic then so what so what were your family's knowledge of dyspraxia and then so and what do you find were the things that you found out from telling your family and looking back at your childhood I will say nobody that was close to me was surprised as lucky everyone was very like sweet about it and I think I have always been good at laughing at it which I think a lot of dyspraxics are I mean sometimes you know it it, it can feel bad but I think they they all kind of shared their like stories of me like doing yeah. something like there was this time apparently when I sat in the back of the car and I had an ice cream I went to lift up one hand, but then got confused between my hands and lifted up my hand with the ice cream. And then they said there's a stain on the ceiling of the car, like just because I got my hands confused 
it got ice cream everywhere and every meal my mum was like you would spill something she was like it was it was so frustrating because I would get you all sat down and then you would spill a drink. When I was younger, she like banned me from sitting on the sofa. I wasn't allowed in the living room if I was having a drink because I'd just spill it. I think it helped in a way for everyone to have a a bit of compassion and think this isn't something I'm doing on purpose or I'm not being like lazy or careless. This is just me, I guess. Yeah, I just say that. It's like with like drinks, it's about they never had a carpet in the house. It does happen too often, as you've seen with your parents. Before you even diagnose, they already notice things that without knowing you would just they must notice things. It was like part of who you are that you was a bit more clumsy and me made more mistakes practically. Already having like an understanding and empathy. At least I made things easier for you when you were younger. That, Probably made you a bit more comfortable and seeing them putting you in things. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think people can be quite mean sometimes and lack a kind of understanding and get frustrated with people with dyspraxia. And I think you need to try and move away from those people. Yeah. That was one good thing my husband was really good at. Like he was good at being compassionate about it. He made like a dyspraxia fund. And so every time I broke something and I just like felt like so stupid, he'd be like, it's fine. It comes out of the dyspraxia fund, you know, like that. And I think things like that, just having kindness, other people having kindness makes it so much easier. And I think if people aren't being very nice or very understanding, then definitely move away from those people and yeah. spend less time with those people. Difficult it, if it's family. Of course, if you've got the people who are like a bit more kind and compassionate and supportive, then that's helpful to see the more laughing softer then. Yeah, yeah, and you get less panicked and so you make yeah. less mistakes. It's a weird circle. If you're more anxious or nervous, then of course things would have been me able to meet more areas if you've been more comfortable within yourself like like I am then you know like if you made some sort of error you'll start to have, have a laugh of it so would you think like being able to like find human and it would you see that's part of getting into comedy yeah I think it's been a really helpful thing with comedy in that you're so used to laughing at yourself from a young age. I think there's quite a few dyspraxics that do comedy and I really recommend Biz Was. Yeah. Yeah, he's very funny. I think we're just good at seeing the funny side of things and we also have a really tough skin, which is what you need for, for things like that. To, in order to kind of put yourself out there, you need to be able to laugh at yourself and yeah, fail. I've seen that in order to there's quite a few new diverge people in mm. comedy. I'd say we've had in comedy, it does take a fix, like something to be able to come like off like certain like gigs. Like when I didn't go that big, it takes a lot to come back from that and to be able to try, uh, try and try it again and learn from that mistakes. I'd say that it does take something from in yourself. And uh, as I like think that it must take something to like put together so went. Um, like finally found out that you can be quite funny and then I see it's quite a big thing to translate being funny into the whole comedy act and being a comedian. I think it, the key that I found is just doing it over and over and over again. I'm naturally, I used to be like very shy when I was younger and it's definitely helped with that but it is one of those things I think where just the more you do it the the easier it is and the more you become yourself on stage. I think 
that was the thing that I found harder like now when gigs go well like I feel like my best self and often like I'll I'll knock something over or I'll like but it's like it's slightly chaotic like I get reviews and things saying that it's like kind of chaotic fun I think lean into the things that that make you you and try to keep just getting on stage until you feel like you're kind of the most you yeah I could see like like that you lent into like different aspects of yourself like many comedians through different parts of your identity and parts of who you are and that's from what I've seen often watching you on the te- television on like eight out of ten cats this countdown to like the Palo stand up sketcher and recently saw you live in uh, Cardiff and down the yeah, Cardiff area when you were doing your, your latest stand up sketcher. Was it that you went to the wrong venue? Did you oh, go yeah. to the wrong? <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> know, oh, no, I went to the Right, man, but they booked for the wrong venue on the wrong date. Oh, like, no. Yeah, like, yeah, it was only on that night. And look, I was there, and I was thinking, oh, I, I want, you know, I was thinking that, oh, I have booked for the, you know, your act, your show. And then the lady was like, oh, hold on, you kind of booked for Birmingham on, like, like oh, 7th of November. And I was just glad that I was like, I wouldn't know if today to do that. But laughing at myself and like talked. But Lucy was like very great, you know, like all this like space for like a table and, you know, guys sit down. And Lucy was put good seats. So I could, you know, see And she let, she let you yeah. just come in. You didn't have yeah. to buy another ticket. Okay, great. great. Yeah, yeah, great stuff at the <laughs> club. Yeah. Yeah, they're lovely there. They're yeah. so nice. Oh, God. Yeah, it's just things like that. I think. And I think yeah. when when you can have fun of it, I think the times I found it hardest is when I have to like pretend that when I was younger, I definitely felt like I had to pretend to be really together. And then yeah. it would like all come like tumbling out in like the worst ways. Just trying to be like, oh, well, this yeah. is going to happen, you know, now I, again. You know, like it comes tumbling out when you're trying to, you know, like bring yourself, like feel like you got yourself together, I guess that. That's what, like, probably when you did job interviews, yeah. did the standard, like, nine-to-five job and... Yeah, like in, so hard. Like, studying in university, stuff like that. Yeah. I guess then we was real challenge when you're adult, in, and then I guess when you, like, started doing something like comedy and something creative like that, then you started being able to be a natural self. That, then, as you're saying, it's not like you're doing job interviews or, like, doing certain tasks where you're like, you know, booking in people with appointments or like doing any second yeah. office work. Then I found the space where you can start to be yourself. Yeah, I think definitely. I, I feel very lucky in that. I think it's so hard because to, I really, like, I struggled to, to get jobs and then I'd get a job and I just, I would just never do very well at it. I worked in a bar and I just... I flooded the basement once because I would break so many glasses and then I worked booking hospital appointments and I just, I would get, I wouldn't know how to use a fax machine. And it just, it just feels like so much pressure, like having to do like regular tasks. So I do feel very lucky to have found a job where I can be myself. I think in a lot of jobs, people in like 50 50 I think some people would just be kind and like see like have a sense of humor and be nice about it but I think it's very hard if you're in an environment where where people get cross or like they're you have to pretend and then you're just like oh god this is 
so hard to to function with. As you like to like something like bar work or waitressing, as you're saying with like struggles for those simple tasks. When you're like struggling on day to day basis, as you're saying, even though like some people can be quite kind and understand, and then it's yes, it's that struggle with it being day to day and you know, like certain issues like that, then can, as I said earlier, that certain struggles can then knock on your confidence. Yeah, definitely. I was a waitress and that was a disaster. I once spilt soup all over this woman's head, like a whole bowl of soup. <laughs> it was like in the middle of the day and she was wearing this like light coloured suit and she was like, she was so covered in like green soup. I can't even describe to you, like through her hair. She like yelled at me, which is fair enough. She was just minding her own business and she was covered. It might have been hot. And then I burst into tears and I ran into the kitchen and I just like, I felt so bad, but also that like, when people get cross, it just makes it so, like you just feel so like stupid. Yeah. And then she ended up coming and having to apologize to me because she made me cry. And I was like, I think this is the wrong way around. But my boss then he just didn't really get it. But it's fair enough. I mean, yeah. being a waitress, you, you don't yeah. <laughs> you need to be quite together. Yeah. I know, I mean, oh, yeah, because it would be missing like this. It's, hopefully, it's just fat and all in your heart. So then. Yeah, yeah you shouldn't be around hot soup with the yeah. spectator, I think, yeah. yeah. Because, like, always, when you're in restaurants, I wouldn't know when you see the people with the plates stacked up on, like, um, yes. on like, that stuff, I think, like, you know, if I would know, how you would know how to carry all that on your arms like that. So, with comedy, then, I guess you found, you like, ways up that you can do things in a way you went and now having to do tasks that you struggle and can find a very thriving. Yeah, it's really nice. And especially when I, as I was really shy when I was younger, it's really nice to feel like you can be yourself and be liked for that. That feels really nice because it's not always been easy to feel like I can be myself or say what I think. And comedy is all about saying what you think in the moment and being like, honest I think that's because where some of the best comedy comes from and that's not always come naturally it's really helped me be myself I think yeah I say there's a few comedians who are neurodivers and people in the arts and I think it's a space in an area that works best for neurodivergent people as I like you would know there's like people in comedy who have ADHD yeah well I think that's why neurodivergent people are so good because they they think differently to other yeah. people and we often have perspectives that other people are like have <laughs> it's not the normal thought we think of things oddly yeah. that's where comedy can come from yeah like Greta you can probably like feel a bit more control and have a bit more agency in a space and uh, like you know you can be able to write stuff and I think like didn't comedy art is quite important for of any world divergent people like ours I found with you know yourself as that when they saw you on TV doing like eight out of ten cats this countdown, that like that was like when the first times I seen like uh, dyspraxia mentioned on TV. I think as a person who's dyspraxic or like a new divergent, it's very important to see like another new divergent yeah. person talk about on TV. Yeah, I think it's I think it's good, and I think if you can see someone, I don't know, it's like it's the same thing as like being like a. Uh, a woman in stand-up like seeing other women do it makes you think you can do it and makes you feel like things are possible I think and so 
I don't know. I think I, I like talking about it because I think if I, I mean, if I had known or people that might know that they're dyspraxic and they watch it, they think, oh, I could do that. You know, that's probably a thing that would suit me doing comedy. So I yeah. think it's helpful. I was just saying about like when, when you like started in comedy or before that, come more you like uh, seen in comedy and like your favourite comedians or com- comedy shows. But it'd be women that you may have related to or like found quite relatable. And I think that's a very important thing in comedy that I think you more more feel naturally to to laugh and enjoy somebody you find who you can relate to in the comedy that you're speaking about as. I think with comedy, it's a good space of finding somebody to relate to and feel less alone or a bit, like, yeah. a bit more happy and positive in yourself, as you say, with, like, dispatch. Sometimes you can find ways of finding where in, in, in that. But if you see another dispatch person on TV talking about it, having a bit of a laugh with it, you can feel a bit more confident and less alone in yourself if you've got lack in that personal confidence. So yeah, I, guess, I think definitely. I think yeah. it can it can feel quite lonely, I think, um, when you are someone that like makes mistakes a lot. You, you can be quite hard on yourself. And so I think seeing people speak about it, I think seeing anybody speak about it is, is a helpful thing because you think, oh, they can do that, I can do that. or Or just be like, I'm not so weird after all, you know? Yeah. As I said, mean, people yeah. might see me and be like, I don't want to be like her. This, this is terrible. <laughs> I'm just like her. This is awful. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I think it's helpful. Yeah, it is definitely helpful. It's just when we of like, as you say, you bring a bit of laughter and joy in the day and the, that's purpose comedy. So when you're starting in comedy, would you find the people that influenced you and influenced your comedy? So one of my biggest inspirations was um, Catherine Ryan. I opened for her on tour, like quite early on in my in my career. I mean, she is a very together, like almost kind of like a perfect person, I think. So she's quite different to me in that she is like very together and she kind of always like knows her own mind and she's like she's she's so brilliant but she was so like generous and kind and I learned so much from watching her because she'd be so funny also she was so thoughtful and generous to everybody around her yeah she was just like constantly so funny and then other comics I love Maria Bamford I think that she is somebody that is so honest about all her difficulties and she is so unique and so herself on stage. She speaks about things that I love watching comics that talk about things that are very truthful and maybe uh, quite things that are not often spoken about and making it funny and then therefore making people feel less alone. And she is so brilliant at being so unique and making kind of the hardest subject matters so funny. What type of themes does she touch on in her comedy then? So she talks about a mental illness quite a lot. Um, she's had quite a few struggles. She talks about that a lot. She's also recently started talking about her mum's death. It's so sad, like her mum was in, like included in a lot of her comedy. So I think the audience kind of feels like they know her a bit. But she's talking about something that's so hard to speak about, but also being so funny at the same time. It kind of takes quite a skill and talent to find a way of telling that in whom I've seen and getting the tone right. It's important to address these themes and talk of things that can be quite difficult to talk about when there's space of comedy. Right? Sometimes it's more easier space in a way to uh, talk about it and, you know, kind of feel comforted from that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Barzi says he speak honestly about themselves and being quite authentic on their own life experience as influenced some of the themes and stuff you talked about in your own comedy. Yeah, definitely. I think when I started, I was quite dark in my comedy, but that felt very normal, I think, because those were the thoughts I was having. Also, I was working in this job where I had to type up the news and I was just listening to the news all through the day. And so it felt normal to talk about those kind of things. You always want to try and be um, interesting and say things that people haven't said before. But I think the most important thing is just to say things that you think of. (laughs) If you can make yourself laugh, then that's the... From that, if trying again, after you find ways of like making it work time and time again, when you start out, that was like, I think over 10 years ago, then I think something would be when do you kind of start out in comedy? Yes, I started like over 10 years ago, and I think one of the things, especially doing my tour show, I have so much fun, It, it makes me feel really nice when people laugh and they connect to what you're saying and I can be silly and I think say what I think and I really feel like myself I think I I used to find it very difficult to talk to people and connect so when people are laughing at things that I say it feels really good so I think that's why it's so nice to keep doing it like even if you have started off by not having the best of yourself then when you get out on stage, start yeah. doing new comedy, then like making laugh, uh, people laughing, then I guess that helps your mood and your boost your own confidence then. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, at least since then, you, when you started your career, you like you've done different stuff, whether I'll be on radio, and then you like, as I said, you've done stuff like I don't have 10 cartridge countdown and managed to touch on different themes in comedy, as she recently you talked about being a mother, references to my childhood and to like press and like body image of women in society. As I said earlier on, you just spoke back to as well in comedy. You've seen that before in sketches. When I saw you on scat- the standard sketch show, and you acted out a segment from your diagnosis. You remember what's that? And like saying that you, when you were getting diagnosed, you got. You tripped over a bowl. <laughs> yeah. So in the joke, I say that the, the professor walked in and I had my foot stuck in a bowl, but it actually happened when I was on the phone doing an over-the-phone diagnosis. I got so panicked and I was just walking. I was like pacing in the living room and then I got my foot in this bowl that was on the ground and it got stuck on my foot. And then I was saying, sorry, just give me one moment when I just get this bowl off of my foot. And then he was <laughs> I think you have dyspraxia. I think you don't need to do this test because somehow I'd got my foot stuck in a bowl while just talking to the guy. And yeah, so yeah, that was a bit of my stand up for a while. Yeah, I could see that stand up from that. I could tell that one of the key things you were including your stand up. And as I said, you've been on eight out of 10 cats. And that was the first place I saw you. You did stuff of like Alan Carr. And so, what was your experience of working in? On with comedians on shows like that it's really nice I think that it's like it's really intimidating because these are like the best people in the world at comedy like Sean Locke and Alan Carr I mean they're just the, they're just the yeah. best and so you're you're sitting there and you're thinking nobody wants to hear from me like these are the best people in the world so it's hard to kind of keep 
talking and being involved but I think the more you do the more fun you have and the more you get involved the more you enjoy it but sometimes you just sit back and you're like this is so funny this is so brilliant and then you're like wait I'm here too (laughs) it's very fun I can imagine it must be quite different going from like as you like performing on stage you know like doing stand-up shows then being like in the tv studio with as you say you're like comedians that you watched before on TV, like Life and Apollo, and then being in the same space, bouncing off jokes from each other. Yeah, it's really nice. I think stand-up, like generally with gigs, like there's a real camaraderie, like you go through something together with the other comics, but a lot of the time it is a very kind of individual thing, like you're working on your act alone, like it's just you on stage at the time. And so it is really nice to do things with other people and kind of bounce off other people that have similar brains to you it's um it, it's very fun yeah I could tell like the fun enjoyment from what as I said what and stuff like eight out of ten cats I'm able to see comedians like Tom Lark who I really enjoyed on the show doing yeah. like the way when you are different items you know bringing them on as you're saying that you know like about the natural sense of dyspraxia I could see that on the show kind of naturally Consumer that you bounce off the different people on the show and it probably like must have been like helpful in your career being able to work with like every card on established to get that confidence or get bit advice or like chat to them about their career or like about their comedy as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think that when someone like Sean Locke laughs, that's the best feeling in the whole world yeah. so uh that uh that definitely uh that definitely makes you feel good you've been uh, at it for uh many years to understand it and towards uh several shows and going to like the edinburgh friends and uh like done stuff like tv shows when with yourself and you guys spent on getting married and yeah different stuff like that um, yeah, it's been really fun doing lots of different things. I think that's the amazing thing with doing comedy. All these random things come off it. I always try and think like the stand up is like the day job. Like you go yeah. back to that, but there's all these fun things that can come off it. At some point, you did end up doing a podcast. You yourself and listened to that one before, and like you did called Ways Harriet Crane. So, yeah. like, tell a bit about the podcast you used to do. And like. I, I burn for fear and for like anxiety and that can be related to distraction, a co-occurring thing. So what do you think was the origin of starting the podcast with that title? Yeah, so I did it with one of my favourite people, Sunil Patel, who's a very funny comedian. I recommend checking him out. He is very together, quite serious. He hasn't cried since he was seven and tripped over a dog. Whereas I (laughs) live in chaos, especially at the time, I think, like when we started it, like I think I might have just got my diagnosis. I was just get overwhelmed and flustered and just cry very often. And so each week there was the idea that we'd talk about a time that I cried and I would try and make Sunil feel something and it would never happen. It was kind of like a mental health podcast, like in a way, but it was very silly and very light and we'd get people on and talk about times that they also had um had cried about something stupid like I I just kind of wanted to make fun of it because I think if you can laugh at at these moments then it makes it so much easier not to take things too seriously 
felt it was more like a comedy podcast than mental health, as you say, like yeah. it, you know, like touch on moments of like, I'd say again, being overwhelmed or over emotional, but I say like it was very much for the comedy factor as like the, there would be like the point of each episode where you would find like a random news story or like random video where you would read off to Sunil about like certain thing that you thought was a sad story and try to make him like pay all in all the podcast. Okay, just get angry. Listen to that, I thought say something that you probably when you read up about the spark you see the link with hey Ben getting very emotional so you feel that some of that has related to being dyspraxic? Yeah, I think so. I would just get very overwhelmed and very anxious because I would be so worried about making a mistake or doing the wrong thing. I think you can get all these things in your head. I think because as well, like I'd sometimes say the wrong thing or misunderstand something and respond wrong, then I worry that I'd upset people. And so I'd have to go through everything in my head before I said it out loud or I'd have to think everything through like so much in ahead of time so that I wouldn't make a mistake. And then when you do make a mistake, it's just exhausting. I think definitely talking about it and laughing at it helps. Yeah, it's highlighted on something like that. One thing that's when people hear about this fact and like the general definition of it, normally like people think the practical clumsiness, like messy with things in order then as you've seen that. You had to think about like certain things just when it was like traits that maybe some people wouldn't know or understand and think of being dyspraxic. And like, something that can overlink and uh, be envelops of other newer divergent conditions and like, being autistic. Some of that can relate. And there's some things that you look on of newer divergent conditions and you do see similarities there. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's definitely a spectrum and I definitely have things like I don't like change very much. Sometimes I can find that very overwhelming and I don't always know the the right thing to do. That can feel bad. I think it's all, it's all, it's all quite related, I think. As you were saying, like with change not knowing the right thing to, then it's... (laughs) That was a dyspraxic moment. Aaron just threw his pen over his shoulder. (laughs) Yeah, if you already plan things ahead in your brain, then you said you're going to go be working with your own internal way of planning things, and they can work around that. So it makes up like open mechanisms, then that can be like a struggle with the dyspraxia. Yeah, definitely. I think that everything can add up. Now, like it sounds like silly things to people. You're like, I spilt something down my top, but then if you're going somewhere like important and you have to look together and then you're very scruffy you can't find something you leave late go the wrong way fall in a puddle like it's just all these things add up and then you just think why am I not like a together person you turn up and you've forgotten something or you say the wrong thing and it can affect your self-esteem I think and that affects your that anxiety and yeah I said it can affect your self-esteem and it can affect like how you feel it like independence and you're like I was just saying, like, struggling to know, like, sense directions and remembering certain things. It's then mixed out to training things and going new places. That's important of overtime learning. Coping mechanisms and having plans and places assume that if you were to go to a new place, then you would look it up on Google Maps. It can just make your day sometimes, like, 15% better and it can stop that turn in your day when just everything goes yeah. to shit and it's just madness.
Yeah, then even though, like, if you've been that way before to that place, then it's like sometimes uh, with the dyspraxia, then you can remember things once, but then on one day you forget certain things. So, like, as I was saying, I'm talking about self esteem and the confidence with dyspraxia. And I just said the answer yeah, to you. So, what has been your experience with mental health and of certain struggles on diagnosed later on in life that you found that? You had to like try like therapy and like certain therapies help you. Yeah, I thought when I found out I'd be like so happy. When I first read about it, I started crying and I was like, oh my God, this is so much like me. I thought if I get diagnosed with this, I'll feel so happy because I'll feel so, so pleased to understand myself. Actually, I felt when I did get diagnosed, I felt really sad and a, a bit like wistful for the time that I hadn't known and that I just had been so hard on myself. And I just felt like I'd like made so many mistakes and just no one had known why. And I just had looked like such an idiot. Like I just was hard on myself. I've done a lot of therapy, but I think the thing that helped me the most was this therapy called uh, DBT. And it's not necessarily for dyspraxics, but I think one of the things that's good about it is that it's not just going through all your thinking and the things that have happened and like your life. It's giving you like tools, which I think that are some of the most helpful things for dyspraxia. Like of in this moment, if you do this thing, I have had PTSD before and it really helped with that as well. Also just times when I would get a bit panicky of just things to do in that moment that rather than lean into it and you become more panicked and you go down a spiral, you do actions like put cold water on your wrist and take a series of breaths and you have a sweet that you like and you go for a walk or like little things like that that just help you have tools to help yourself rather than just not knowing what to do when you start to panic. It's actually dialectical by behavioural therapy. Yeah. It's called DBT. I really recommend it to everybody. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really helpful and something that would be really helpful for somebody like myself or like any other dyspraxic. So people who are struggling with anxiety seem to have panic attacks on self-esteem and confidence. Yeah. And as you say, in that, like probably when you got diagnosed, then it's like, to say that you found like really stuff like finding like light laughed over the years and you know like parents like understanding and as you said your, your teachers went to like shout at you or angry with you but like said you could skip doing her homework but like some things as you said you affects your confidence and I guess you, like you had a moment of mixed emotions because you felt a big grief not having that diagnosis before in time and I can understand how not having a diagnosis of a neurodivergent condition and is it that you have having panic attacks and could help yourself with that? Exactly, that's it. it. It's just learning how to help yourself yeah. and then learning how to not get in that place in the yeah. first place where you can you can look at your thoughts and be more practical. So, yeah, I yeah. really recommend it. And I guess you've found your mental health approved a lot then from that. Yeah, definitely. Anything else you wish to... Say they haven't said already on the podcast. I think dyspraxics are we're a bit different, but I think lean into that and try and embrace it. Try and have fun with it. I know it it can be really hard, but actually, if it's a really cool thing that can mean that you have a lot of like really good things that other people don't have. And uh, I think reading about it and understanding it really helps. And trying to put in routines because I think the the more routine that you have, the easier it is to automatically do things rather than automatically yeah. do the 
the worst thing. Everything will take you longer and just try and be kind to yourself. It, it, it's hard enough, you know. Did you remember the titles of the books that you were reading? I met one of the authors, actually. I did um, the dyspraxia conference thing and um, I met Janet. Janet Taylor I've written about it quite a lot. So dyspraxic adults surviving in a non-dyspraxic world, living with dyspraxia, caged in chaos by Victoria Biggs. Another book I found quite helpful. I, I haven't finished it. I've only read a chapter of it. Is yeah. and I'm, I'm starting to read it. But Atomic Habits, I think that might be quite a, a good book for learning how to kind of get into... Wrapping up with the podcast. So is there anything you want to plug and promote at the end? Um, well, I'm going to be filming my um, stand-up show. It's kind of an amalgamation of my last show, Slatty Joan, and my new show, Honeysuckle Island. My Instagram's at Harriet Kemsley the same on twitter it will be available online excellent fantastic any guess like anyone but one thing would make the world's better for any would divergent person any like think thoughts on that like I anything better to make things better i think teleporting um <laughs> i think that would be a really helpful thing and then yeah. we don't have to get on a bus or or uh, have to work out where we're going i think if we could just teleport that would really yeah. make life much easier okay teleportation that's the thing <laughs> if yeah. someone can invent that please that would yeah. really help yeah it would be quite handy and convenient yeah. you know yeah easier than taking a bus yeah Thanks you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks Harriet. so much, Aaron. Yeah. Nice to chat to yeah, you. Yeah, thanks you very much.